0: Above180.com Taking your bowling game to the next level. Tim Berg and Joey Serrar are ready to hit the lanes, approaching the issues that you, the bowler, want to know. From the latest equipment reviews and coaching to drilling layouts. Now, from Washington, D.C. and the Bowler's Pro Shop in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, here are your hosts Tim Berg and Joey
1: Serrar. Today, it is our privilege and honor to have Keith Hamilton joining us. Keith is the president of Luby Publishing. Keith, Timberg and Joy Serrar here.
0: Glad to be on. Thank you for asking. Good morning, Keith. Uh, I'll start things off here this morning, and uh, I got a number of questions for you, and some might be a little bit controversial, but the first one is an easy one. Okay. What do you find most rewarding in running Luby Publishing? Well, that's a question I don't get asked often, Joey,
2: so that that's a great one. I love uh, business, would start there. And uh, I'll be honest, I didn't grow up with a bowling ball in my hand. Uh, I grew up playing the other sports, you know, the basketball, baseball, football. And uh, even though my dad was a, a fantastic bowler, great bowler, bowled against the Budweiser teams uh, in the 50s, You know, that never really came my way. Um, But I started at Luby when I was 18. And it's a long story, but I'll do it as quickly as I possibly can. I started as an office boy at 18. Uh, And they they liked me in the office, and I liked them. And and, uh, what I did was business work, office work. I really wasn't involved in the bowling side or the journalism side at all. But it's just hard not to engage the people in this industry, um, who I find to be the nicest people that I've ever met anywhere at any time, consistently. And you can say over the years that I am doing one business, which is what I've always wanted to be involved in, in running a company, and B, to be so fortunate doing it for the bowling business. And so fortunate that I'm able to, to go out anywhere in the country and at any time call somebody, a bowler, a friend, an advertiser, whomever it might be, and just to sit down and enjoy the company. That That's when you're fortunate in, in life, Joey, and, and I'm pretty certain, and I know you, that you're probably very happy in what you do, that we're able to make a living. It's something we really enjoy doing. So that's, uh, that's the number one goal, I think, uh, other than taking care of your family. That's the number
0: one goal in life to have, is just to make certain whatever you do, you love doing it. You know, I, I agree totally with you, Keith, in that, you know, my business is dealing with the public day in and day out. You know, I get customers coming in, you know, don't, don't how can you handle it? You know, and I say, you know, the majority of the people that come through my door are happy to be there and want to see me and, and are looking for help or advice. And it's rewarding in itself just being able to help people. And, you know, the, the work aspect is, you know, a little mundane. You know, I mean, drilling balls, I mean, there's no interaction, but dealing with people, helping people, and having them call you and say, hey, thanks for this, thanks for that, at the end of the day, it kind of makes it all make a little bit more sense, I think. Yeah, it, it does. And, you know, we have to remember that uh, as far as people, um, we're not in the retail
2: business, so we don't, we don't have that interaction like you might. But most people are good people. I mean, the, sir, you'll have that customer ever so often, and we'll have a subscriber or we'll have an advertiser ever so often that really kind of pushes you. But that's in, in the big picture, that's rare. And uh, so, um, you know, I've been to your shop. You you do a, a heck of a job over there, Joey. And uh, you know, I see those people come in and how they rely on you. You've got a you've got a good thing going, but you know, you've earned it,
1: Keith. One of the things I'd like to get into in, in the podcast, and while the while we have you on the air is the Boulder Journal International Magazine. And one of the neat things that is going to be coming that you're taking nominations for right now is the Top 100 Coaches. You have a form on the website and a form where people can fill out to put in their nomination for Top 100 Coaches. And I feel that is something that is vital to our sport and something that's really going to help people that listen to this podcast. So just talk a little bit about the thought process and, and what really goes into choosing these top 100 coaches because there are a lot of coaches, a lot of people that try to coach bowling, but truly what you try to do is find some of the best.
2: Well, absolutely. Um, exactly like you say, everybody uh, thinks they might know bowling. I think I might know bowling until I meet somebody like Joe or uh, I meet some, really a coach, a silver-level coach, and I realize – Keith, don't tell anybody how to bowl. Don't, 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 don't even try and help your son back off. Uh, because, boy, you're 100% right, Tim. Coaching could very well be the salvation of the industry in the future. Being able to have somebody go down the lanes and, and, and see somebody uh, who, who might resemble some talent or some interest in the game of bowling and to be able to teach that individual how to just improve their game a little bit more, how to feel comfortable at the lanes and and how to pick up spares, quite frankly, um, is, is, is the way to go because people will, listen, people will bowl when they bowl better. Now I'm not sitting there saying we should make it easy for them. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying if you teach people how to bowl, they'll bowl better. They'll come back more often. So, for us it was just a very easy decision how can we support bowling and, uh, and how can we support the levels of bowling you know the, the gold silver the bronze of course at every level and our you know I take no credit for this it's our editors uh, you know Jim Dressel and, and Bob Johnson uh, two of the best in the business uh, they came up with the a list and with the help of USBC uh, they're definitely our partners in this because they have the list of coaches. We, um, you know, we're able to do this one top one hundred list. So it really is a selection process. There's many people who submit applications, but between the uh, our knowledge and really the help of USBC, we're able to compile this list. And it is our intent to continue to run this list for. As many years as, as we think it's important.
0: You know, Keith, I, I think it, if we go back five or 10 years ago, it would be difficult to find 100 top coaches nationally. And now, in this day and age, a short time later, it's going to be hard to narrow it down to the top 100 with more and more, you know, let's say experienced bowlers and, and you know, people who've worked with, with the kids in, in high schools and collegiate programs. I mean, there's so many more now available, and, and I think you're right. It's going to help not save the sport, but keep bowlers interested in the sport. And when you see improvement, you know, th- there's more desire within to stay with it and maybe get better and maybe get an honor score or average 200. So, I mean, it's needed w- without question. You know, I, I think as an industry, we're, we're doing a lot of things right
2: these days. Now, in our beloved bowling, what we have is is a lot of people who, who have opinions, very opinionated, uh, opinions all over the place, for good and for bad. And uh, there's always criticism thrown away of organizations and leadership. And maybe they're warranted, maybe they're not. I'm not going to get into that. But what I am going to say is we as an industry are doing a lot of things right now. We're identifying the importance of the youth market and we're targeting helping the youth market. We're doing coaching. We're, we're, we're putting emphasis on important things, and what happens is it takes a while for all this to work. It's not something that's a fix overnight, but it will help. It will help the industry and it will help the, uh, the sport of bowling. And I think we're doing, if these policies were in place back in the 70s and back in the 80s, I think we'd have a lot more bowlers today.
1: Again, this is Keith Hamilton, president of Luby Publishing, joining us on the Above180.com podcast. Want to touch on one thing yet with coaching, then we'll move on. But are we going to see some coaches that are going to start specializing in, the two- in two-handed bowling? Because it is all about proper form and technique. It's, I think a lot of people think it's just some guy running up, kind of throwing a ball two-handed. But there's a lot of form and a lot of the same basic principles being used by the two-handed bowler, Jason Belmonte, and other bowlers that are doing it than there is a Walter Ray or a Norm Duke.
2: You know, uh, Kevin Dornberg, who was uh, a very good friend of mine, was the uh, former uh, operating uh, executive director of USBC before Stu Upson uh, came aboard, uh, told me that this is the way bowlers should be taught. And what I mean, two-handed bowling. And I was shocked. <laughs> and uh, Kevin just said that, you know, if we can teach our youth bowlers early that this is the way to throw that um, that's the way USBC should go. Now, that was Kevin's opinion. There's no mandate by USBC, um, but that, that's how what he felt. I mean, at the time, that of the uh, USBC. So, the thing is, Tim, there aren't that many bowlers out there. It's going to take time, I think, for players and coaches to, to be developed in order to teach that style of bowling. I mean the two people we have on tour right now are, you know, one's in Europe and one's in Australia. So, um, you know, it's, very, it's going to be very difficult to teach that, yet it is something that should be taught, because if you can master 2 handed bowling, imagine the advantages you have.
0: You know, I'll, I'll tell you, Keith, you know, being just one pro shop operator myself, I, I can speak, I have easily a dozen high school players that are Thumbless or two-handed, and and some learn to use that thumb for spare shooting and the like. So I think we're going to see more and more of it within the next few years, uh, both collegiately as well as. And Cassidy Schwab right now is a very good two-handed lefty, but I think we're going to see it collegiately and, and more and more on the pro tour within the next just few year time. Yeah, really, Jim. Well, that's that's interesting. We'll see. I'll tell you what, it's fun to watch. But but my question still follows. This is. Will their body be able to contort and turn as easily when they're in their 40s? You know, and, again, you want bowlers to stay with the sport, or will they just naturally convert to a more traditional style to stay with the game? I mean, you see Osku can throw a and still rev it up and hook it big time. Uh, you know, so, w- again, will these bowlers just quit when their body says, okay, no more, or will they just convert to a traditional style and stay with the game? I mean, time will tell. It's a motel, and certainly that's an area
2: of expertise I don't have. Uh, you know, I probably asked 10 people down at the test center. But, uh, I, I, you know, I'm, I imagine it's going to be very difficult if you bowl for 20, 30 years one way to all of a sudden switch and go the other way because, you know, not everybody's going to be a professional and and be able to go back and forth like that. So, you know, I don't know, Joey. Time, time will tell. We'll see. But, um but it's still an interesting uh, method, an interesting way to ball, and uh, I think you're right. I think more and more bowlers are going to ball that way.
1: Want to switch gears for a minute, Keith. The USBC tournament getting ready to take shape out in Reno again. Want to get your thoughts. I know there's a lot of kind of grumbling from some bowlers about always having to go to Reno so many times and it being always on the West Coast and the people from the Central time zones and the East Coast having to spend their days traveling. Want to just get your thoughts, I guess, as far as the USBC and it seems like the never ending trips to Reno and what your thoughts are about. Uh, whether we we need to do that, or if bowlers just need to learn that that's the way it's going to be.
2: You know, every bowler has the right to their opinion. I mean, there's no right or wrong. I, I mean, despite what people may think that hey, this is a mandate; we're doing it one way or the other. There's no right or wrong for a bowler to be content with it or, or not happy with it. I mean, and they have the the right to choose to go or not to go. Um, I'm an industry guy, Tim. You do what you can. Uh, to number one, take care of your customers, and if you can take care of your customers and, and help your business partners, uh, you should look at doing that. Certainly, the city of Reno and the National Bowling Stadiums are those type of business partners that uh, you know we should support because uh, they've invested a lot of money in in bowling. And uh, you know, personally, I like Reno. Uh, honestly, I prefer to go to Reno. Uh, versus some of the sites we've been to. And uh, uh, if you want to bowl in a USBC tournament, you're going to have to go where they go. It is hard to get to, though. It's easier for me. I'm probably the easiest place, other than being in the in the uh, west, western part of the country, it's pretty relatively easy from, from Chicago. Not that easy, but relatively easy. But yeah, it's a nightmare for the rest of the country. I understand that and empathize with everyone who has to go through that extra trip.
1: Keith, just yeah. a, a- Quick question. Sorry, Joy, to interrupt. Bowler's Journal, you guys also run a side tournament, and I'm just curious as to how the numbers are of your entries and everything with the Bowler's Journal tournament when it's in Reno as compared to other years. Do you see a, a spike, or do you see kind of the, the same numbers whether you're in Reno or Baton Rouge or Albuquerque or Vegas or mm-hmm. pick a city?
2: No, we we will correlate with the overall entries of, of the USBC tournament. Hey, listen, I'm... <laughs> I, this is a, a word, it's not a great word, but we are a parasite tournament, and and what I don't mean that it's also a tournament, but we survive because the USBC tournament. You know, they're creating the markets, and we're able to go in and, and have tournaments to hopefully enhance the experience of, of all the bowlers going to to the town of the USBC, and I think USBC enjoys uh, having tournaments there as well because of the fact that it enhances a bowler's experience. Our numbers will rise and fall pretty much in direct proportion of what happens to the USBC tournament numbers. And typically, typically in Reno, those numbers are higher.
0: Keith, I have a question regarding your tournament. I I think you've led the way with increasing the different types of divisions in your tournament, Uh, most importantly, the senior division. And, And a good friend of ours, Eddie Bauer, years ago, I asked him, you know, what's the average age of that, you know, of a bowler going to the USBC tournament? And he said, well, it's about 46, 47 years of age. This was five years ago, yep. so that makes the average age of most bowlers going to that tournament probably a little higher right now. Probably. Do you think uh, the USBC should have a senior division, other than the Century Doubles, which was my idea with Ed Bauer? Mm-hmm. Uh, to help these bowlers that know they can't win tournaments, this tournament, and compete against the 20-year-olds, do you think there's a need for that separate division now? Absolutely. (laughs) But um, I'm
2: sure they've thought of that, Joey. I'm certain they've run the calculation and they have the demographics of of the bowlers. Um, Certainly there should be a division for seniors that just kind of make Makes sense. I, I do want to clarify one thing, and thank you for trying to uh, recognize me for adding divisions to the Bowler's Journal tournament. But you know who did that? Who did it? It was our great friend Ed Bauer. Uh-huh. Bowler's Journal is no longer run by Luby Publishing. Bowler's Journal, over the last, I would say, eight years now, going to our eighth year, is run by the USBC tournament. Eddie was at ABC at the time because we did the sure. deal originally with ABC. Eddie took over to Bullers Tournament and he, Bullers Journal Tournament. Immediately made some improvements. He added a pins over average division which we didn't have before and uh, seniors. So uh, you know,
0: Eddie got it. I mean, Eddie saw the need for it. And, well, yeah, yeah, Eddie was a visionary, without question, and, yeah. and they need more people like Eddie. But uh, I just see part of the decline in entries, you know, part being Reno, part being economy, but the other part being these old people, <laughs> me being one of them, you know, 50 and over, realize it's getting tougher and tougher to, to get a, a good paycheck from that tournament. Yeah. Hey,
2: I also wonder, I'd like to know how many people that go to the USB really don't care about winning they're there for the experience I mean I'll tell you Joey when we go and actually I bowl with Eddie now and uh, Tom Clark I'm bowling with from the, from the PBA and Mike Jay from the PBA I promise you we don't have any illusions of winning <laughs> you know we go there and we have fun and I but think in, there's a in, lot more bowlers he's not in the, the classified players. division you could win yeah, yeah. that's yeah. that's true if we were in the classified
0: division Oh, so that's you're right. not in that? Okay.
2: Well, we're not in it because only uh, if they hit my average times five times we'd be in it. Uh, but uh, but you're right. You're right. Uh, that's what's great about the classifieds, honestly. But I I don't mm-hmm. I don't know if half
0: the bowlers I don't think go there with winning. It's a top priority. I, I would not. agree. It could be near half. You're right. But that that other half is an important half. It is an and, important. And, half and you don't want to lose yeah. any percentage of that other half. Yeah.
2: There's no doubt our, our bowlers are
0: and we're getting older, and we need to uh, just need to think about that and develop products for them. Okay. Now, now switching gears a little bit, our, our final question here, uh, this is a little deep, and, uh, and, and you and I are directly involved with this, but we, we know the challenges that have been facing print media over the last, let's say, decade, and you know, with the advent of the Internet. Mm-hmm. What direction or added directions do you think the Bowler Journal should or needs to go to help stay competitive in this challenging market for getting information out to people?
2: Well, it's a, obviously it's a great question. It's a great business question. It's, it's interesting to look at exactly what's going on now to publishers and, and quite frankly, to newspapers uh, and to print shops. Just to see how the internet has impacted all of us. Uh, I'll start at the extreme, and I won't talk about printers right now. But I'll, I'll start at the extreme. Let's talk about newspapers. Newspapers are, are getting crushed, and I think it's inherent in the name newspaper. It is virtually impossible to scoop anymore in a newspaper. Right. It, it's it's merit of hey we're delivering news is. You know you're a few hours late. I have already gotten that news. That's a problem. but magazine publishers niche magazine publishers it's a little bit safer uh, Let me explain the difference between what we have bowler's journal, which is actually its niche is the uh, proper pronunciation, but we cater a certain audience and and we will deliver product based on the needs and the demands of that audience. And I'm telling you, pretty much as a, I guess I can't say fact, but trust me, it's about as close to fact as you can get. Our readers still want the magazine in print, period. That's number one. Number two, in writing the magazine, you have to present it differently than you did 15 years ago. For instance, if you write about a PBA event, you're going to let less agate, per se, or yeah, uh, you know, make a shot at 299, and here's the other people's scores, and you're going to talk about what you are going to talk about is the stories associated with that. Um, something that other people aren't covering, okay? You have to be unique throughout the magazine, um, and, and you can't be that newsy type of magazine anymore, alright? Uh-huh. We have uh, something called the Cyber Report, Joey, as you know, and a lot of the business people in the industry get this electronic uh, news letter every week, and it discusses business. Um, we also discuss some business in Buller's Journal as well. Uh, but the business we discuss isn't necessarily in Wall Street Journal, okay? And it's not necessarily in the, in the Chicago Tribune or or any other national uh Newspaper, so again, it's it's very difficult for somebody to go for a bowler to go online and a national newspaper and find information on bowling. You, you can't, right? So you know, for for these magazines that survey a, a particular target, it, they have a lot more time to respond, okay, to electronic. But for the mass marketers, it's it's very very difficult. We don't have to lead. We can let other companies develop millions of dollars in internet, and we can follow see what works. But I'm telling you, it's hard to make money online unless you're into high volume e-commerce. I mean, high volume, um, or strike me dead for saying this, but in porn,
0: which seems to do very well, it's. It's hard to get people to pay for content on the Internet. You definitely nailed it right there. I mean, with this is here to stay. The Internet's here to stay, uh, mass media. Uh, but I, for one, I really enjoy sitting up, curled up with a, a nice cup of coffee or a glass of wine and reading a magazine. It's, it seems much more personal and and you have a closer tie to that media than just reading it off your screen. Absolutely. And
2: uh, just like you said, I'm taking a train in. It's just easier for me to, to read a magazine. You know what? It's much easier to go back to reading a magazine as well. You know, you get it in for the mail, you may put it down, but it's just easier to go back to it versus seeing it emailed to you and, and you probably won't get back to it. You know, I'll tell you what, Joey, uh, as you know, we we publish U.S. Buller, which is a print publication that the USBC uh, owns. Uh, we manage it for them. They are now online. And uh, our advertisers right now, who, who pretty much flocked to the print version, who paid five times of the cost of what it is online, they're, very, they're not confident yet on advertising online because they feel like you do. That you know, print people will get to print and digest print more than they will online. So even some of our advertisers are are seen to be resistant to it, even though it's significantly lower priced.
1: Sure very interesting tough with Keith Hamilton here the president of Luby publishing Keith we're gonna have to uh, wrap things up and next time we're gonna have to have you back because we didn't even get the half the stuff we really needed to regarding the uh, the bowlers Hall of Fame and uh, just everything with the IBSA board and, and just everything uh, Keith will promise us you will come back on the show sometime
2: No, oh, no problem whenever you'd like thank you very much Tim and Joey we'll uh, we'll see you soon
1: and for thank everyone you, else uh, good luck and good bowling.